Chapter Seven of Captain Sword and Captain Pen, a poem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Captain Sword and Captain Pen, a poem by Lee Hunt. Postscript containing some remarks on war and military statesmen part one the object of this poem is to show the horrors of war the false ideas of power produced in the minds of its leaders and by inference the unfitness of those leaders for the government of the world the author intends no more offence to any one than can be helped he feels due admiration for that courage and energy the supposed misdirection of which it deplores he heartily acknowledges the probability that the supposed misdirection has been hitherto no misdirection but a necessity but he believes that the time has come when by encouraging the disposition to question it its services and its sufferings may be no longer required and he would fain tear asunder the veil from the sore places of war would show what has been hitherto kept concealed or not shown earnestly and for the purpose would prove at all events that the time has come for putting an end to those phrases in the narrative of warfare by which a suspicious delicacy is palmed upon the reader who is told after everything has been done to excite his admiration of war that his feelings are spared a recital of its miseries that a veil is drawn over them a truce given to descriptions which only harrow up the soul etc suppose it be necessary to harrow up the soul in order that the soul be no longer harrowed moralists and preachers do not deal after this tender fashion with moral or even physical consequences resulting from other evils why should they spare these why refuse to look their own effeminacy in the face their own gaudy and overweening encouragement of what they dare not contemplate in its results is a murder in the streets worth attending to a single wounded man worth carrying to the hospital and are all the murders and massacres in fields of wounded and the madness the conflagrations the famines the miseries of families and the rickety frames and melancholy bloods of posterity only fit to have an embroidered handkerchief thrown over them must ladies and gentlemen be called off that they must not look that way the sight is so shocking does it become us to let others endure what we cannot bear even to think of even if nothing else were to come of inquiries into the horrors of war surely they would cry aloud for some better provision against their extremity after battle for some regulated and certain assistance to the wounded and agonized so that we might hear no longer of men left in cold misery all night writhing with torture of bodies stripped by prowlers perhaps murderers and of frenzied men the other day the darlings of their friends dying two 
and even several days after the battle of famine the field of waterloo was not completely cleared of its dead and dying till nearly a week surely large companies of men should be organized for the sole purpose of assisting in clearing away the field after battle they should be steady men not lightly admitted nor unpossessed of some knowledge of surgery and they should be attached to the surgeon's staff both sides would respect them for their office and keep them sacred from violence their duties would be too painful and useful to get them disrespected for not joining in the fight and possibly before long they would help to do away their own necessity by detailing what they beheld is that the reason why there is no such establishment the question is asked not in bitterness but to suggest a self-interrogation to the instincts of war i have not thought proper to put notes to the poem detailing the horrors which i have touched upon nor even to quote my authorities which are unfortunately too numerous and contain worse horrors still they are furnished by almost every history of a campaign in all quarters of the world circumstances so painful in a first attempt to render them public for their own sakes would i thought even meet with less attention in prose than in verse however less fitted they may appear for it at first sight verse if it has any enthusiasm it once demands and conciliates attention it proposes to say much and little and it associates with it the idea of something consolatory or otherwise sustaining but there is one prose specimen of these details which i will give because it made so great an impression on me in my youth that i never afterwards could help calling it to mind when war was spoken of and as i had a good deal to say on that subject having been a public journalist during one of the most interesting periods of modern history and never having been blinded into an admiration of war by the dazzle of victory the circumstance may help to show how salutary a record of this kind may be and what an impression the subject might be brought to make on society the passage is in a note to one of mr southey's poems the ode to horror and is introduced by another frightful record less horrible because there is not such agony implied in it nor is it alive i extract says mr southey the following picture of consummate horror from notes to a poem written in twelve-syllable verse upon the campaign of seventeen ninety four and seventeen ninety five it was during the retreat to daventer we could not proceed a hundred yards without perceiving the dead bodies of men women children and horses in every direction one scene made an impression upon my memory which time will never be able to efface near another cart we perceived a stout-looking man and a beautiful young woman with an infant about seven months old at the breast all three frozen and dead the mother had most certainly expired in the act of suckling her child as with one breast exposed she lay upon the drifted snow the milk to all appearance in a stream drawn from the nipple by the babe and instantly congealed the infant seemed 
as if its lips had but just then been disengaged and it reposed its little head upon the mother's bosom with an overflow of milk frozen as it trickled from the mouth their countenance were perfectly composed and fresh resembling those of persons in a sound and tranquil slumber the following description he continues of a field of battle is in the words of one who passed over the field of jamap after dumouillet's victory it was on the third day after the victory obtained by general dumouillet over the austrians that i rode across the field of battle the scene lies on a waste common rendered then more dreary by the desertion of the miserable hovels before occupied by peasants everything that resembled a human habitation was desolated and for the most part they had been burnt or pulled down to prevent their affording shelter to the post of the contending armies the ground was ploughed up by the wheels of the artillery and wagons everything like herbage was trodden into mire broken carriages arms accoutrements dead horses and men were strewed over the heath this was the third day after the battle it was the beginning of november and for three days a bleak wind and heavy rain had continued incessantly there were still remaining alive several hundreds of horses and of the human victims of that dreadful fight i can speak with certainty of having seen more than four hundred men still living unsheltered without food and without any human assistance most of them confined to the spot where they had fallen by broken limbs the two armies had proceeded and abandoned these miserable wretches to their fate some of the dead persons appeared to have expired in the act of embracing each other two young french officers who were brothers had crawled under the side of a dead horse where they had contrived a kind of shelter by means of a cloak they were both mortally wounded and groaning for each other one very fine young man had just strength enough to drag himself out of a hollow partly filled with water and was laid upon a little hillock groaning with agony a grape shot had cut across the upper part of his belly and he was keeping in his bowels with a handkerchief and hat he begged of me to end his misery he complained of dreadful thirst i filled him the hat of a dead soldier of water which he nearly drank off at once and left him to that end of his wretchedness which could not be far distant i hope concludes mr southey i have always felt and expressed an honest and christian abhorrence of wars and of the systems that produce them but my ideas of their immediate horrors fell infinitely short of this authentic picture mr southey in his subsequent lives of conquerors and his other writings will hardly be thought to have acted up to this abhorrence of wars and of the systems that produce them nor is he to be blamed for qualifying his view of the subject equally blameless surely as they are to be held who have retained their old views especially by him who helped to impress them his friend mr wordsworth in the vivacity of his admonitions to hasty complaints of evil has gone so far as to say that carnage is god's daughter and thereby subjected himself to the scoffs of a late noble wit he is addressing the deity himself 
but thy most dreaded instrument is working out a pure intent is man arrayed for mutual slaughter yea carnage is thy daughter mr wordsworth is a great poet and a philosophical thinker in spite of his having here paid a tremendous compliment to a rhyme for unquestionably the word slaughter provoked him into that imperative yea and its subsequent venturous affiliation but the judgment to say no more of it is rash whatever the divine being intends by his permission or use of evil it becomes us to think the best of it but not to affirm the appropriation of the particulars to him under their worst appellation seeing that he has implanted in us a horror of them and a wish to do them away what it is right in him to do is one thing what it is proper in us to affirm that he actually does is another and above all it is idle to affirm what he intends to do forever and to have us eternally venerate and abstain from questioning an evil all good and evil and vice and virtue themselves might become confounded in the human mind by a like daring and humanity sit down under every buffet of misfortune without attempting to resist it which fortunately is impossible plato cut this knotty point better by regarding evil as a thing senseless and unmalignant indeed no philosopher regards anything as malignant or malignant for malignity's sake out of which or notwithstanding it good is worked and to be worked perhaps finally to the abolition of evil but whether this consummation be possible or not and even if the dark horrors of evil be necessary towards the enjoyment of the light of good still the horror must be maintained where the object is really horrible otherwise we but the more idly resist the contrast if necessary and what is worse endanger the chance of melioration if possible did war appear to me an inevitable evil i should be one of the last men to show it in any other than its holiday clothes i can appeal to writings before the public to testify whether i am in the habit of making the worst of anything or of not making it yield its utmost amount of good my inclinations as well as my reason lie all that way i am a passionate and grateful lover of all the beauties of the universe moral and material and the chief business of my life is to endeavor to give others the like fortunate affection but on the same principle i feel it my duty to look evil in the face in order to discover if it be capable of amendment and i do not see why the miseries of war are to be spared this interrogation simply because they are frightful and enormous men get rid of smaller evils which lie in their way nay of great ones and there appears to be no reason why they should not get rid of the greatest if they will but have the courage we have abolished inquisitions and the rack burnings for religion burnings for witchcraft hangings for forgery a great triumph in a commercial country much of the punishment of death in some countries all of it in others why not abolish war mr wordsworth writes no odes 
to tell us that the inquisition was god's daughter though lope de vega who was one of its officers might have done so and mr wordsworth too had he lived under its dispensation lope de vega like mr wordsworth and mr southey was a good man as well as a celebrated poet and we will concede to his memory what the english poets will perhaps not be equally disposed to grant for they are severe on the romish faith that even the inquisition like war might possibly have had some utility in its evil were it no other than a hastening of christianity by its startling contradictions of it yet it is gone the inquisition as war may be hereafter is no more daughter if it was of the supreme good it was no immortal daughter why should carnage be especially as god has put it in our heads to get rid of it i am aware of what may be said on these occasions to puzzle the will and i concede of course that mankind may entertain false values of their power to change anything for the better i concede that all change may be only in appearance and not make any real difference in the general amount of good and evil that evil to a certain invariable amount may be necessary to the amount of good the overbalance of which with the most hearty and loving sincerity i ever acknowledge and finally that all which the wisest of men could utter on any subject might possibly be nothing but a jargon the witless and puny voice of what we take to be a mighty orb but which after all is only a particle in the starry dust of the universe on the other hand all this may be something very different from what we take it to be setting aside even the opinions which consider mind as everything and time and space themselves as only modifications of it or breathing-room in which it exists weaving the thoughts which it calls life death and materiality but be his metaphysical opinions what they may who but some fantastic individual or ultra-contemplative scholar ever thinks of subjecting to them his practical notions of bettering his condition and how soon is it likely that men will leave off endeavouring to secure themselves against the uneasier chances of vicissitude even if providence ordains them to do so for no other end than the preservation of vicissitude itself and not in order to help them out of the husk and thorns of action into the flowers of it and into the air of heaven certain it is at all events that the human being is incited to increase his amount of good and that when he is endeavouring to do so he is at least not fulfilling the worst part of his necessity nobody tells us when we attempt to put out a fire and to save the lives of our neighbours that conflagration is god's daughter or murder god's daughter on the contrary these are things which christianism is taught to think ill of and to wish to put down and therefore we should put down war which is murder and conflagration by millions to those who tell us that nations would grow cowardly and effeminate without war we answer try a reasonable condition of peace first 
and then prove it try a state of things which mankind have never yet attained because they had no press and no universal comparison of notes and consider in the meanwhile whether so cheerful and intelligent in justice state seeing fair play between body and mind and educated into habits of activity would be likely to uneducate itself into what was neither respected nor customary prove in the meanwhile that nations are cowardly and effeminate that have been long unaccustomed to war that the south americans are so or that all our robust countrymen who do not go for soldiers are timid agriculturists and manufacturers with not a quoit to throw on the green or a saucy word to give to an insult moral courage is in self-respect and the sense of duty physical courage is a matter of health or organization are these predispositions likely to fail in a community of instructed freemen doubters of advancement are always arguing from a limited past to an unlimited future that is to say from a past of which they know but a point to a future of which they know nothing they stand on the bridge between two eternities seeing a little bit of it behind them and nothing at all of what is before in uttering those words unfit for mortal tongue man ever was and man ever will be they might as well say what is beyond the stars it appears to be a part of the necessity of things from what we see of the improvements they make that all human improvement should proceed by the cooperation of human means but what blinker into the night of next week what luckless profit of the impossibilities of steamboats and steam carriages shall presume to say how far those improvements are to extend let no man faint in the cooperation with which god has honored him as to those superabundances of population which wars and other evils are supposed to be necessary in order to keep down there are questions which have a right to be put long before any such necessity is assumed until those questions be answered and the experiments dependent upon them tried the interrogators have a right to assume that no such necessity exists i do not enter upon them for i am not bound to do so but i have touched upon them in the poem and the too rich and other disingenuous half-reasoners know well what they are all passionate remedies for evil are themselves evil and tend to reproduce what they remedy it is high time for the world to show that it has come to man's estate and can put down what is wrong without violence should the wrong still return we should have a right to say with the apostle sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof for meanwhile we should not have done evil that good may come that good may come nay that evil may be perpetuated for what good superior to the alternatives denounced is achieved by this eternal round of war and its causes let us do good in a good and kind manner and trust to the cooperation of providence for the results it seems the only real way 
of attaining to the very best of which our earth is capable and at the very worst necessity like the waters will find its level and the equity of things be justified i firmly believe that war or the sending thousands of our fellow-creatures to cut one another to bits often for what they have no concern in nor understand will one day be reckoned far more absurd than if people were to settle an argument over the dinner-table with their knives a logic indeed which was once fashionable in some places during the good old times the world has seen the absurdity of that practice why should it not come to years of discretion with respect to violence on a larger scale the other day our own country and the united states agreed to refer a point in dispute to the arbitration of the king of holland a compliment if we are to believe the newspapers of which his majesty was justly proud he struck a medal on the strength of it which history will show as a set-off against his less creditable attempts to force his opinions upon the belgians why should not every national dispute be referred in like manner to a third party there is reason to suppose that the judgment would stand a good chance of being impartial and it would benefit the character of the judge and dispose him to receive judgments of the same kind till at length the custom would prevail like any other custom and men be astonished at the customs that preceded it in private life none but schoolboys and the vulgar settle disputes by blows even duelling is losing its dignity two nations or most likely two governments have a dispute they reason the point backwards and forwards they cannot determine it perhaps they do not wish to determine so like two carmen in the street they fight it out first however dressing themselves up to look fine and pluming themselves on their absurdity just as if the two carmen were to go and put on their sunday clothes and stick a feather in their hat besides in order to be as dignified and fantastic as possible they then go at it and cover themselves with mud blood and glory can anything be more ridiculous yet apart from the habit of thinking otherwise and being drummed into the notion by the very toys of infancy the similitude is not one atom too ludicrous no nor a thousandth part enough so i am aware that a sarcasm is but a sarcasm and need not imply any argument never includes all but it acquires a more respectable character when so much is done to keep it out of sight when so many questions are begged against it by pride pomp and circumstance and allegations of necessity similar allegations may be and are brought forward by other nations of the world in behalf of customs which we for our parts think very ridiculous and do our utmost to put down never referring them as we refer our own to the mysterious ordinations of providence or if we do never hesitating to suppose that providence in moving us to interfere is varying its ordinations now 
all that i would ask of the advocates of war is to apply the possible justice of this supposition to their own case for the purpose of thoroughly investigating the question but they will exultingly say perhaps is this a time for investigating the question when military genius even for civil purposes has regained its ascendancy in the person of the duke of wellington when the world has shown that it cannot do without him when whigs radicals liberals of all sorts have proved to be but idle talkers in comparison with this man of few words and many deeds i answer that it remains to be proved whether the ascendancy be gained or not that i have no belief it will be regained and that in the meanwhile never was time fitter for questioning the merits of war and by inference those of its leaders the general peacefulness of the world presents a fair opportunity for laying the foundations of peaceful opinion and the alarm of the moment renders the interrogation desirable for its immediate sake the reappearance of a military administration or of an administration barely civil and military at heart may not at first sight be thought the most promising one for hastening a just appreciation of war and the ascendancy of moral over the physical strength but is it or can it be lasting will it not provoke is it not now provoking a reaction still more peremptory against the claims of toryism than the state of things which preceded it is it anything but a flash of success still more indicative of expiring life and caused only by its convulsive efforts if it be this it is easy enough to predict that sir robert peel notwithstanding his abilities and the better ambition which is natural to them and which struggles in him with an inferior one impatient of his origin will turn out to be nothing but a servant of the aristocracy and more or less openly of a barrack master he will be the servant not of the king not of the house of commons but of the house of lords and as long as such influence lasts which can be but a short while of its military leaders he will do nothing whatsoever contrary to their dictation upon peril of being treated worse than canning and all the reform which he is permitted to bring about will be only just as much as will serve to keep off the spirit of it as long as possible and to continue the people in that state of comparative ignorance which is the only safeguard of monopoly every unwilling step of reform will be accompanied with some retrograde or by effort in favour of the abuses reformed cunning occasion will be seized to convert boons demanded by the age into gifts of party favour and bribes for the toleration of what is withheld and as knowledge proceeds to extort public education for extorted it will and in its own way too at last mark and see what attempts we made to turn knowledge against itself and to catechize the nation back into the schoolboy acquiescence of the good people of germany 
much good is there in that people i would not be thought to undervalue it much bonhomie and in the most despotic districts as much sensual comfort as can make any people happy who know no other happiness but england and france the leaders of europe the peregrinators of the world cannot be confined to those lazy and prospectless paths they have gone through the feudal reign they must now go through the commercial god forbid that for anybody's sake they should stop there and they will continue to advance till all are instructed and all are masters and government in however gorgeous a shape be truly their servant the problem of existing governments is how to prepare for this inevitable period and to continue to be its masters by converting themselves frankly and truly into its friends for my part as one of the people i confess i like the colors and shows of feudalism and would retain as much of them as would adorn nobler things i would keep the tiger's skin though the beast be killed the painted window though the superstition be laid in the tomb nature likes external beauty and man likes it it softens the heart enriches the imagination and helps to show us that there are other goods in the world besides bare utility i would fain see the splendors of royalty combined with the cheapness of a republic and the equal knowledge of all classes is such a combination impossible i would exhort the lovers of feudal splendor to be the last men to think so for a thousand times more impossible will they find its retention under any other circumstances their royalties their educations their accomplishments of all sorts must go along with the press and its irresistible consequences or they will be set aside like a child in a corner who has insisted on keeping the toys and books of his brothers to himself now there is nothing that irritates a just cause so much as a threatening of force in all impositions of a military chief on a state where civil directors will at least do as well as a threatening of force disguise it or pretend to laugh at it as its imposers may this irritation in england will not produce violence public opinion is too strong and the future too secure but deeply and daily will increase the disgust and the ridicule and individuals will get laughed at and catechized who cannot easily be sent out of the way as ambassadors and who might as well preserve their self-respect a little better to attempt however quietly to overawe the advance of improvement by the aspect of physical force is as idle as if soldiers were drawn out to suppress the rising of a flood the flood rises quietly irresistibly without violence it cannot help it the waters of knowledge are out and will cover the earth of what use is it to see the representative of a bygone influence a poor individual mortal for he is nothing else in the comparison fretting and fuming on the shore of this mighty sea and playing the part of a canute reversed an antic really taking his flatterers at their word end of postscript containing some remarks on war and military statesmen part one